Welcome everyone to Rock'em Nation Podcast. This is Podcast Central, your episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. Uh, it is Season 3, Episode 8 of Dive Cuts. Uh, I am your host. With me, uh, breathing slightly heavily on the other end there, is uh, is our good friend, our co-host. He's uh, going to talk about why Zoe needs to recruit better. This is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Doing well. Uh, I think that noise you hear is our uh, AC unit actually going. I'm in a new podcasting location, so you can hear, and everyone can hear, just how robust our air movement is in our uh, 80-year-old house. So you have the uh, the AC kicking on? You guys have a heat wave there in Indy? Let's... <laughs> no, it's our... Something is blowing through <laughs> our pipe. I'm imagining it's warm air. I hope it's warm air. My fiance will let me know if it's not warm. Um, so if you hear uh, a woman angrily screaming at me, uh, that, that's probably her telling me to like kick the heat on. But uh, enough with uh, house maintenance related stuff. How are you? Doing uh, pretty well. The results uh, last night were not exactly what we wanted, um, but not altogether horrible. Uh, the first half was certainly horrible. Um, about as, as ugly of a half as we've seen Missouri play in a while. Uh, you have any general takeaways from Missouri's uh, trip to Cincinnati last night? It was ugly, and I expected it to be ugly. Uh, but that that foresight didn't you know, prepare me for actually watching it be ugly for long stretches. But that that's what you're going to get, I think, with these two programs. I mean, both are physical they're tough you know they're going to get into you on the defensive end of the floor um they're both teams that just really execute scouts at a high level and so i think you wrote in you know the uh stats piece today that you know both took away what the other wanted and this was about how much could you sort of adapt on the flyer at least you know carve out you know little spaces to do what you needed to do and you know, there were stretches in the first half where I thought Xavier was able to sort of capitalize on, you know, slowing Missouri down. And early in the second half, Missouri sort of turned the tables. But this was a game where I thought for each team had 10, like two, 10, two 10 minute stretches where they sort of imposed their will. And the rest was just sort of a wrestling match. And in the end, Xavier was able to execute just a little bit better. So it sort of matched my expectations. But I think, you know, obviously it's a missed opportunity early in the year to quad one win. So. There's that balance between, you know, being pleased at sort of seeing defense travel, seeing, you know, consistent rebounding and, you know, knowing that's a missed opportunity. So it, it's sort of it seems like it's too early to really be worried. But at the same point in time, I think you do need to acknowledge that opportunities for those kinds of road wins don't come up very often, especially when you're leading in the final minute. So you're tempering kind of early positives with sort of the underlying result uh, not being what you wanted. So it's it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's positives, but I think ultimately, you know, where the program is right now, where, you know, Conzo Martin wants to take the program, uh, that win would have been really good overall for, for Missouri, and, and they sort of missed the opportunity to capitalize on that. Uh, going in, if you just said, "Hey, you're gonna lose an overtime game," to Xavier, I'd have been like, "All right, that's that's good," um, you know. But it's one of those things like, 
when you actually watch the game, when you actually kind of get to the last few possessions and Missouri sort of having, you know, a little bit of control of the game, um, you know, it was low scoring enough that, you know, any one or two possessions was going to turn it around. And, and I thought that they just had, uh, they had one or two calls kind of late, kind of go against them that probably were a little home crowdy. Um, and then, of course, the uh, miscommunication between Javon Pickett and and Xavier Pinson as uh, as Xavier buried the three to sort of you know tie the game. And I, I think that when a game is that close, and I I know I've kind of saw you had an exchange on Twitter with uh, a good friend that the uh, there's there's a lot of things you can always point to, particularly when you have as many turnovers as Missouri had, uh, especially in the first half. Um, you know, but I also thought that there were several uh, key possessions, kind of in the second half, where they had an opportunity to sort of take what was a, a a little bit of a lead and and take a little bit more command, and they they sort of missed the opportunity, and even like the you know, missed layup by Trey Jackson, you know, there kind of late in the second half where he was just wide alo- wide open uh, by himself in the rim. And I don't think he expected to be as open as he was, but I also think he he does the thing that, you know, young guys kind of tend to do is he, he he's probably used to just going up there and dunking it and maybe not being uh, completely aware of everything that's going around him. He... Uh, just tried to kind of lay it in and and just you know missed <laughs> for for you know I was trying to think of a like a a, a funny word or something like it but I, the reality like he just he just sort of dropped it in the wrong place and it's uh you know like he put a little too much English on it is what he did I mean just looked like it had a little bit too much on it when he went up to finish there like it was sort of caught halfway between a dunk and a layup and. Or like he decided halfway back, actually, I'm going to lay it in, and it wasn't quite the cleanest finish. But I think the bigger deal for me was, I think it was Quentin Gooden, the first possession, or one of the first possessions of overtime. Missouri gets a couple good stops within one possession, and then Gooden drives in off the wing, and then reverse pivots back into a mid-range jumper and buries it over Mark Smith. That That's a big possession. That's good defense where Xavier just makes a play to get an edge there. Um, there was another foul. There were a couple fouls that I thought were a little bit ticky-tacky. Um, one is, I think, I can't remember his name, but he's a graduate transfer number 25 for Xavier. Kind of swept across the lane in a running hook, and I didn't think Trey got into him too much with the body. I think it was, again, one of those situations that we'd seen later on with Najee Clark and you know Jeremiah Tillman, where the offensive player is making a move and is initiating the contact, and the defender is basically straight up and having kind of that rule of verticality there and the official gives them the whistle that was sort of where i thought maybe there was some home cooking where you know if you're being the aggressive the aggressor offensively you know the ref i think may be more inclined to give you kind of the nod in that sort of situation but i thought both those were should have just been non-calls you know let let the play sort of unfold that way but that was, those are sort of three plays I thought in overtime that really sort of, you know, kind of bailed Xavier out a little bit. They hit a tough contested jumper and they get two kind of. And I hate and I hate sounding like I'm complaining about the refs because you know that's 
a respite that I never like to take. But those are just two calls that I just wish they would have sort of let go, let the game kind of continue, let that. Because I didn't see anything, even on replay, that sort of hinted that there was a, an advantage gained by the Missouri defender in those situations. So those were just three plays in overtime that stood out to me. Yeah, you know, overall, I generally kind of take the um, the opinion that officiating at the college level is usually just pretty bad in general. Uh, and as long as it's evenly bad. And I don't necessarily think that like Xavier was like gifted the game by the officials like that. I don't think it's anywhere close to to that level. But I, you know, I do think that here and there there are calls that are really important. Uh, and when they're bad calls, like it, it impacts the game in a negative way, um, you know. And it's just like the second call on Jeremiah Tillman, where you know it's just one of those things like. It's the there's going to be contact on a screen. There's it's, it's inevitable that there's going to be contact, especially too, because Xavier's principles like Missouri, they teach guys to go over the right. screen. Like in that situation, you're just going to have contact. And like I didn't see Jeremiah like move or initiate or not have his feet planted. It just looked bad, in, or at the angle I think the ref was at, it looked more like a collision than I think it actually was. So. That, that was my thought. Yeah, and so it's like stuff like that. Uh, you know, if Jeremiah Tillman plays, you know, eight to ten minutes in that first half versus, you know, three. Um, you know, maybe Missouri is closer uh, throughout the first half and, and they don't have to quite make as big of a run. Uh, but also, you know, maybe then they don't quite go in the same kind of run that they went on from the end of the first half into the beginning of the second half. So it's just one of those things that, like, I don't tend to focus a whole lot on the officials because I really don't think the officials cost Missouri the game uh, in any way, shape, or form. Like what cost Missouri the game is the fact that they had, uh, you know, twenty-five turnovers. How many turnovers? Like twenty? Was it twenty, twenty, or twenty-five? I mean, that's just that's that's even in an eighty-possession game, like that's a lot. And I thought. I thought a lot of the turnovers in the first half were ugly turnovers. Whereas I feel like the turnovers that happened in the second half, there was a couple ugly ones, but for the most part, like they were good, aggressive plays that just didn't quite go Missouri's way. And sometimes you're going to have those. Uh, those are more the turnovers you can live with. But the first half, there was, I would say, eight to 10 of those 13 turnovers that were just bad, bad turnovers. And the one thing that I, that Ken Palm's added now that I think is a really helpful stat is they now have non-steal turnovers where he's basically subtracted. And I think that's his proxy for forced and unforced turnovers. Missouri's 282 basically in unforced turnovers nationally. I mean, that's those are errors of execution, not the defense putting you in a bind. Those are what you're saying, either just poor decisions, sloppy you know, decisions, and, you know, you've got to clean those up. You know, Missouri's assist rates have improved. I think overall their turnover rate's getting better. But there, I think there are still some nights where they, for whatever reason, they just look discombobulated and disorganized early. And that was the other thing that sort of stood out to me offensively with them is once Tillman went to the bench, they just, they just didn't look steady. They looked a little bit unmoored. And 
they didn't have him early in the second half after he picked up a third foul, but they just looked more composed. And they just looked like they had a better sense of, okay, if he goes to the bench, here's how we're going to operate. Here's how we're going to function. And I don't know if you know he left so early that it sort of threw them off kilter in terms of what they were going to try and do early on in the game plan and whether or not that trickled down into sort of the decision-making and how loose they were with the basketball. Yeah. I'm just sort of looking over a few of the stats of the game and I mean, the ball control in BCI was basically equal. Turnover rates, you know, Missouri was a little bit higher. It's but, actually funny. Like when I was looking know, at, at study halls, I was kind of putting it together and sort of laughing at how similar of a box score each team had. It's like, it's just, it was pretty ugly on both sides. And I think that's credit to the defenses and two teams have pride themselves on defense and it's also early in the season where your offenses kind of tend to be a little stickier than normal. Um, you know, but if you want to talk about like good things, uh, I, I think Drew Smith, after a pretty ugly first half, uh, really put together a fantastic second half. And, and his, his passing, his uh, control of the game, and all those things just got a lot better. And I think we saw version of of drew smith that i think a lot of people have been uh sort of expecting to see to this point and and we've seen in flashes uh but it's also a thing where he's getting used to playing in games again and uh and 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 that sort of natural flow and i think as the season sort of wears on we'll see that version of drew a whole lot more than uh you know than the sloppy first half or you know, even some of the the struggles he's had at, at, at times the first two games. Yeah, and I was impressed again with, and I think I noted this on Twitter. I was impressed with what Tillman did in the second half. Um, you know, playing with three fouls, I thought he was fen- phenomenal as a positional defender. I think he's gotten absolute. I think he's just mastered the basics of playing straight up, understanding where he needs to be, how to position himself. He was great rotating over. Um, there was one time when I thought Trey Jackson. You know, it was, was slow getting over the top of the screen. He put, kind of hung him out to dry a little bit on, on a drive, and he had to rotate late. But other than that, I thought, you know, he looked like he knew where he needed to be. He understood where he was supposed to rotate, where he was supposed to help. I thought offensively how they used him was really savvy. Um, I think, you know, they figured out that if they pulled him out off the block, put him kind of in that slot, they've been running a little bit more of those side ball screens, or a little bit of, you know, kind of delayed horn action where the point guard gets to pick which side he goes to. You know, he can roll off that. He can then sort of hang in that short corner. If the ball reverses, he'll fight, establish post position. If not, he'll get out. I just thought they did a great job sort of using him in a way to sort of ensure that the paint was cleared a little bit and that there were some driving lanes that were a little bit more wide open for them. And I think that benefited... Drew especially, and you know there were some plays where Jones was pulled up into that kind of slot position, and Missouri would run a high ball screen, and you'd see Pinson or Smith, you know, having the you know the ability to read out the roll man and you know change speeds and get downhill. And that's a credit because they were able to space Tillman to certain spots to manipulate the, kind of the geometry of the defense. And I thought that you know how they used him was really smart. And I think it was it's a testament to his maturity that. He accepted that that he was that he was fine with 
sort of being decoyed in certain spots on the floor. So I was really impressed with how he, you know, managed himself once he was on the floor and having to play through some foul trouble. That was one thing that stood out, stood out to me that I was really impressed with. So as far as uh, first three games, uh, the record is, I think, probably what we both expected it to be. They're 2-1. and one. Um, You have any th- anything that surprised you or... Uh, Anything like that of the first three so far that stood out? Uh, just the shooting funk for Torrance. You know, I, I think, you know, we were all sort of hoping that he'd get on track. And I believe he had one game against Incarnate Word where he sort of shot the ball pretty well. And then it's it's just sort of, you know, he's fallen back into a rut early on. The one thing that I think is a positive is it hasn't impacted him on the defensive end of the floor. He's been really, really good down there and, you know, hasn't let that sort of trickle over. And that happened to him sometimes last year. You know, there was that bleed over between both ends where his confidence would get shaken and and whatnot. But I thought overall, you know, defensively he's been fine. But really the shooting there, Missouri needs another guard who can space the floor and can, you know, keep, you know, the defense's sort of intention. Um, that sort of stood out to me. Uh, yeah, that first three he missed uh, last night was, was just like, oof, like – it it didn't even look. I mean, he's so in rhythm, and it's so. I think I you know told you for a guy whose just shooting stroke looks so pure, it was brutal to watch. It just did not look. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look of sorts, and that was sort of jarring to me to be like, oh, that that's not normal. Um, you know, Jim on Pickett's had some good spots. I think you know you sort of noted it in in the piece today. You know, he's had some good moments where I think you know where Missouri's needed him. And, you know, been fortunate to have him be the one to say, okay, now I'm going to be the guy that attacks. It's going to, you know, you know, initiate what, you know, Conzo Martin wants. But overall, you know, there were, what, two or three traveling violations last night. The jump shot hasn't been there for him right now. Um, you know, defensively, he's been pretty sound. But, you know, just overall on the floor, the wing position right now has – you know, not been, no one's really stepped forward. Like I think we hope they would sort of assert themselves in that spot. So that's, that's been a little jarring because that's, you know, the progress that those sophomores make is, is really kind of a linchpin here. So that's, that stood out to me pretty much early on, but I, I don't know what's, what struck you about the first three games. Well, yeah, I mean, on, on Pickett, um, you know, he, he, I thought he played well in game one, um, you know, but, playing a team is not very good uh but he's only attempted like one three-pointer since then uh, i think he's he stepped out on a potential catch and shoot last night um but he just it kind of looks uncomfortable you know what i mean like and i i think that's that that's been surprising for me i think on the positive side um you know the play of pinson um even though he had a pretty rough first half Last night, I thought he he, he everybody, but he, everybody he recovered did, so. really well, uh, which is good to see. You know, for a guy who uh, you know was really kind of up and down as a freshman, um, and he made some plays, Matt, within the flow of the offense. Uh, which you know, I think kind of taking advantage of the seams. And one of the things that that I think made people so enamored with with Pinson a year ago was his ability to freelance and and sort of score with the ball in his hands, right? You could kind of, 
go to him in ISO situations and, and he was able to kind of get his own shot. Um, obviously getting a little stronger this year is going to, that that's been good for him. Uh, he does seem to be a little bit more comfortable with the ball, even though he's, he's still kind of prone to, um, you know, throwing the ball away here and there. Um, you know, but his turnover rate is, is at a much more reasonable level. Um, so I, I, 44.4 assist rate. Too. Yeah. You know, and he, he's, he's always been able to pass the ball. Like I just, I think the, uh, for me, like him kind of being a little more comfortable, not turning the ball over as much, um, and, and being able to make those kind of plays within the, the flow of the offense has, has been, um, I don't want to say a surprise, but it like it's it's been really good to see. Um, but other than that, like I, I really think this team needs to find some consistency shooting the basketball. Uh, and we've had three games now where uh, they they just if Mark Smith isn't making threes, like you just kind of wonder where that three point shooting is going to come from, and and you know like. I think what Kobe Brown uh, in game one kind of came out and looked like he was going to be a guy that's going to be able to make shots. He's, um, well, he was 0 for 4, I think, last night and 0 for 2 against Northern Kentucky. So 2 for 11 overall is not great. Um, yeah, Torrance being 3 of 12 overall. Uh, Drew Smith has had some kind of bad misses, but he's still 3 for 8, um, which is solid. But, you know, Pinson's only made one. Pickett's made one. Yeah, and then Mark Smith being 6-20. You know, I expected him to maybe have a little bit of rust. He didn't play a ton. Um, And so even though you're shooting and you're practicing when you're not playing live, uh, it's going to... It's going to help you build up a little bit of rust. So I I would say that the shooting for me has kind of taken... Um, taking me not quite a back, but it's something that it's like I'm a little, I didn't expect him to be this bad out of the gate from from deep. I mean, 284th overall in the country, shooting 25% is pretty ugly. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know you kind of sort of look inside the four factor numbers there. It's you know the turnover rates kind of crept back up after last night. The offensive rebound numbers are down a little bit compared to, to last year. Uh, you know what's really helped them is, you know, the defensive numbers. You know they're they're defending at an elite level right now, um, which I think we sort of expected them to be a team that would you know potentially be a top twenty five defend you know group in adjusted efficiency. Um, I think that number will slide back a little bit over the course of non con, but everything that I've seen on the defensive end of the floor has so actually sort of met my expectations there. It's just they've got to find shooting. They've got to find something that can, you know, at least force the defense to have to make decisions right now. Because teams, you now Xavier started to extend a little bit, but early on teams have come out and really sort of sat in gaps and dared Missouri to beat them and shoot over the top. And, you know, I think that's created some issues where they settle for those because that's what the offense calls for. And, you know, then they'll go into a funk. They'll go through the first media timeout. You know, Konzel will sub and put maybe some more slashers on the floor. They'll get downhill. They'll rediscover Tillman. And then things sort of work themselves out. But teams right now, I think, are playing them. 
you know, and a year ago I would have, you know, been stunned by it. Teams are playing them more as drivers than shooters right now. And they're just not punishing defenses at all for, for that decision. So are you like, are you starting to question whether or not this team has the ability to knock down those shots? Or do you still think that this is just early season stuff and they'll, they'll eventually work it out? I'm always skeptical to like draw broad conclusions after three games. You know, it, guys don't even have 20 possessions like worth of data yet. Like it's, you know, most of Missouri's guys last year were up over 250 or 260 possessions for the season. You know, we're not even, you know, 10% there yet. So it's, you know, and also I think you have to account for the, the fact too, that like shooting percentages around the country from long distance are down. And there's also the fact that they've moved the three point line back a little bit. And guys have had the chance to acclimate off during the offseason and practice, and you can put tape down on the floor. But that's different than in live situations. So I, I think, you know, in some games I've watched, it's been, you know, a pretty common theme that jump shooting's lagged a little bit this year. So I'm not worried about it as much as I, I just think that it's it's something to keep tabs on. But I'm not, I wouldn't, you know, start, you know, getting in a cold sweat about it at this point. <laughs> no. Um, so they're, they're two and one looking ahead. Um, they're off until Monday they play Wofford. Uh, Wofford is pretty good. Um, still that's, that's a similar game to Northern Kentucky where, um, they're good enough offensively to kind of, you know, put some fear into you. Uh, they aren't as deep as Missouri and so you kind of think that that's a game that'll probably kind of happen similar to Northern Kentucky I don't know if the margin will quite be as wide as that one was I think it'll be a little bit tighter just because I expect Wofford will probably be able to knock down a few more shots uh the Norris just went absolutely cold uh in the early part of the second half and I think that was uh, a key to Missouri kind of expanding that lead and putting it away um, but I, I think Wofford is good enough offensively to kind of stay in this game and 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 make Missouri sweat it out a little bit. Um, still, they should win um, if they're <laughs> if they defend like they have the last three games. I I think that I think they'll they'll hold a really good offense down. But then Moorhead State is an absolute game that they should win. Um, any other thoughts on? The, the week ahead I'm just in, I'm just interested to see what happens you know when they get you know a week to sort of go back in and address things they played three games in the span of a week you know that's they didn't really ease into the schedule you know you could argue and like we did that incarnate word was essentially a, a second exhibition but still you know they you know they they ramped up you know from one of the worst teams in division one to one of the better defensive teams in in, in a tough road environment, basically in the span of six days. And one of those was, a you know, not even, I think 36 hours turnaround, you know, between the incarnate word game and Northern Kentucky. So I, I think that's the one thing I've tried to keep reminding myself too, is, you know, they did a lot in the first week and, you know, how much time have they had really to kind of, you know, go back in and really get into the gym and sort of shore up some areas and sort of, 
you know, let guys maybe get some legs back and sort of just work through some things. So I'm curious to see if a week layoff really just sort of, you know, gives them a slight reset. Um, I think Wofford's going to be a fun opponent. Uh, you know, they're a team that they're a small team. Uh, they're going to probably go four guys under six, five in the starting lineup. Their post is a six, nine, two twenty uh, junior. Chevis uh, Goodwin. They've got a, you know, preseason you know, all SoCon player and Nathan Hoover. They got four guys who can shoot 30% from deep, but man, they, they just don't have size and they, and teams have figured out that you can kind of beat them off the ball and really sort of isolate guys like Trevor Stump, who's, which is a fitting name. He's a six, five <laughs> wing playing in the four spot and their bench players, their bench players are six, two and six, six. And all three of those guys have just been getting hammered you know, in ball screens with ro- and having to pick up rollers, having to, you know, handle off ball cutters, you know, having to chase guys around screens, you know, this is a, this is a game where I think, you know, Wofford is going to be average enough defensively, but Missouri's going to have some size. They're going to have some mismatches. They can sort of target in their offense. And Missouri is so sound defensively and rotating and so sound and closing down that I think ideally Wofford may, you know, hit some hot streaks in this game, but they're going to have to hit a lot of contested jumpers. If Hoover's still cold, you know, this could be a game where, you know, I think Wofford makes some runs to keep it within six to seven, but I think Missouri stretches it out to 13 or 14 by the time this is all said and done. I just think that there's, you know, there's not enough depth. There's not enough, you know, proven pieces behind Hoover and Storm Murphy, you know, defensively there's some areas Missouri can exploit. So it, but it'll be a good matchup, you know. It's it's. I'm glad that you know they're bringing in another mid major that's not going to be imposed or sort of at all daunted by coming in and playing a team like Missouri. It's a, it's another good, you know. It hits the sweet spot for what you want to do with this team in mm-hmm. non con. Yeah, and it's similar to um, you know, kind of watching some of the SEC. Uh, struggle uh, in in some early games and. Um, Tennessee welcomed in Murray State. Uh, I think Tennessee is a little bit ahead of Missouri and, and Ken Palm, and Murray State is a little bit ahead of uh, Wofford and Ken Palm. Uh, and Murray State was ahead at halftime and was looking like they were really just they were going to hang in there and 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 beat the Vols at home. Uh, and and UT went on a big run in the second half. So um, there are. There are teams like Murray State and Wofford that, uh, and Northern Kentucky's kind of in that boat where uh, they're they're used to, you know, playing tougher opponents, and they're certainly not going to be afraid. So I I, I like that game. Um, two days later, they get a little bit of a, a respite from uh, from the challenges and and take on you know their annual game against Moorhead State. Um, not quite sure how they keep ending up on the schedule, but uh, that's a game that Missouri should probably win by fifteen or more. Well, Missouri, I think their checks just cash in time. <laughs> I really think that, you know, just great fiduciary responsibility on the part of Jim Sturk and company. That reputation gets around, mm-hmm. Sam. Being known as someone who pays well, pays on time, never hurts. <laughs> never hurts at all. So, uh, yeah, so that'll probably, as long as they're able to uh, to hold off Wofford, put them at 5-1 and one heading into the Hall of Fame Classic, which you will be covering in person. That's the hope right now. Uh, we, we shall see uh, what the schedule allows. But 
uh, that's the initial plan right now. Um, but at this point, like you, you've asked, you know, what my sort of expectations are, get to the next week healthy, you know, hopefully more head state they get. I'd love to see them give, you know, some four guard lineups, uh, some more traction, love for them to, you know, really, um, let the freshmen kind of stretch their legs in that game and really, you know, play through some bumpy stretches. And just those are the moments where I think you have to, you know, sort of exploit the opponent that you have on the floor. So that that's kind of what I'm excited for is will we see maybe some lineup combinations and some players get some more time to really sort of assess where they are and sort of how they might fit. So that's that's what the Moorhead State game is yeah. to me. Um. Moving on, uh, it was signing day. Missouri um, inked their seven foot three inch uh, commit, Jordan Wilmore. Um, Missouri fans everywhere rejoiced with skepticism. <laughs> there were no snide comments made whatsoever, <laughs> none. Uh, and as you like to point out, and and me as well, like. We haven't seen this guy actually play basketball uh, in any any sort of recent capacity. There's some old YouTube video. Looks like he can move pretty well. Looks like he's a little bit raw skill wise. Um, but seven three is seven three. I think that's a guy that you can kind of park in front of the rim and figure out the rest later. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I know I have a piece going up tomorrow. Just you know, sort of just kind of I think trying to fit the fall period into a context here. I say, you know, don't call it an abject failure. You all will probably still call it an abject failure because they didn't sign, you know, three or four primary targets. I, I, you know, you and I sort of look at, you know, this class as this was an opportunity, I think, because Martin had so much early success in building his roster, you know, that they could afford to really step out and try and go land a high-end piece like a Cam Fletcher, like a Caleb Love, like a Josh Christopher. That didn't, you know, those battles didn't go their way. Um, as far as Wilmore, uh, he's going to, I think, forever be kind of in a comparison with Davion Bradford, who signed with Kansas State today. I don't think we're going to have the returns on that experiment for a couple of years. So... You know, I, I get it. It's natural. You know, you, you, you want to see the opportunity there. We certainly spent a lot of time talking about the luminaries of that class. It didn't pan out. But I think overall, the, and you can, you know, chime in to whatever degree you agree or disagree. I think for the most part, the blueprint that this staff has tried to put out there has worked. You know, it, it hasn't been perfect it hasn't all gone to plan, but I think in large part they they've done what they needed to do, and you know this is a program that's always going to be built on player development and building, you know, sustainable cores. And I think you know based on what we saw last night and some early impressions this year, I think they may have that. Um, again, we have to see how it plays out, but I, I don't think there's as much reason for people to be fatalistic, you know, coming out of signing day. Um, be disappointed, but. I think everybody needs to sort of take a, a look at the wider picture. Yeah, and I was kind of pointing out to you, and at least I think offline earlier when we were kind of talking about uh, there was some scuttlebutt that maybe Wilmore wasn't going to sign this week. And um, 
I don't really know how much I put stock into it when I heard it because I was like, um, well, why would you take his commitment in like September uh, and not sign him unless there was some sort of academic thing they needed to work out? But um, I like this class uh, two years ago. Like a lot of people circled this this 2020 class as like, oh, this could be really big, right? So you had you had all these guys in St. Louis who were who were really good and blowing up, and um, there were connections throughout the country to players who could really come in and make a difference. Uh, and then Kanza went out and recruited guys in other classes <laughs> to fill those spots, um, and. I think like that's the thing. Like even like last spring, while he was chasing uh, Kobe Brown, you and I were like, "Is he really gonna chase and sign this kid? Because that's gonna limit your ability to add bodies in the 2020 class." And you know, when you're talking about guys like Cameron Fletcher and Caleb Love, like if those guys want to come play for you, you'll figure it out, right? Like you'll you'll maybe trim some of the fat at the bottom of the roster, and 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 there's enough sort of flexibility. Uh, with guys like Mitchell Smith and, and even Drew Smith, um, you know, having uh, going into their like fifth year of eligibility where they could potentially graduate and move on if they so chose. Um, you know, guys are always out there looking at transferring. It's just the nat- nature of the beast at this point. But if you're building your roster on continuity, for the most part, you want guys that are going to be there for a long time and, and chasing. Kobe Brown to me when when they got Kobe Brown's commitment it sort of signaled to me that that like Conzo wasn't really looking to land like this monumental 2020 class like I think we all maybe expected him to try uh that he was looking at uh you know 2018 and 2019 as these like foundational classes that were going to sort of help build this program in the way that he really wants to build it uh, you know, and if Josh Christopher is still around in the spring and wants to commit to Missouri, then hey, you've got an elite level wing uh, who you can find room on on the the roster for. But um, I, I just think that he made decisions within the last two recruiting cycles that scaled down my own expectations for what he was going to pull in and. I know that they went after Caleb, but it didn't surprise me that um, that they sort of were, I guess, unfazed by by Fletcher's movement to to Kentucky because I think they like where their wing situation is on the roster, and there there are guys that are going to be there for for multiple years. So it's just one of those things. Like it's it's hard for me to to get upset or only because of how it all played out. Um, if, if, there were, if they were needing to fill spots uh, and he was missing out on all these guys, then yeah, I'd probably be a lot more worried. But I really like where the roster is, and I like what they've done in previous classes. And I think you know, the proof is this team looks pretty good right now. They're still pretty young and realistically could bring everybody back next year other than Reed Nico, which you're basically filling that spot with, you know, a seven foot three freshman. So it that doesn't sound so bad. No. And the last point I'll make is you, you can't 
you can't recruit like any of those three players, Love, Fletcher, or Christopher, are givens for you. You have to fill the holes on your roster that are present at the time, and you have to consistently, I think, you can't put that off and say, well, we're not going to take this player because we want to absolutely make sure we save these slots. No, you have to put a team on the floor, and you have to put a competitive team on the floor, and you want to get the best players you can at the time, and it's striking a balance there. And like you said, if they needed to make room, they had the flexibility to make room. But it's it's just hard for me to get worked up when I look at the roster now and see that there's some balance. They've, you know, they've got shooting that they want. They've got the kind of ball handlers they want. They've finally, you know, managed to find the kinds of guys they wanted at the combo forward spot. You know, they've, does this group have to form some chemistry and some continuity and grow together? Yeah, but there are five underclassmen in basically the top eight of the rotation. While everybody was focused on 2020, they built a roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can be disappointed that they didn't go get a capstone to that. But you can't ignore the five other kids from St. Louis, four of whom were, you know, probably top 150 prospects in the country if you if McKinney hadn't slipped up and slid out of the rankings. You know, that's a good roster. That's a sustainable roster with multi-year guys that can grow together. So that's, I know we've probably spent a little too long on this, but I just, I felt like we needed to sort of like at least address that particular issue today. I understand people are disappointed. I understand they're probably frustrated, but I think you have to look at the totality of what's happened here. So just keep that in mind as the season moves on. Yeah, I would say like, I mean, keep your expectations high. Like I'm not saying, I'm not saying at all like, like don't think that Missouri can't go out and land a more elite level recruit like absolutely like if console if console oh, no, martin wants no. to take this program uh where he wants it to go i think at some point they are going to have to land a caleb love or uh a J- josh christopher um you know i think you and i are both still kind of skeptical that that cameron fletcher is going to be the guy that sort of realizes his potential in in college um, but I think both Christopher and and Love next year are going to be elite college basketball players, um, and so for me, like that's the thing is he he's going to have to do that at some point, and I think that I think that he will, um, but it's probably going to be more like twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three when it happens, uh, and and in the meantime, as long as he's building a competitive roster and they're winning and going to the NCAA tournament, I'm probably not going to complain a lot about, about some, you know, 293rd ranked guy that he's going to sign. I did like, I just, I tend to not get caught up a whole lot in rankings and, and until they start impacting the, the play on the floor. And we haven't really seen that correlation just yet. Yeah. And as, as you and I have said offline before, it's, it scouting bigs is tough. It's, it's really tough at this stage. It's outside of the, you know, top 10 in the country. It, it's an it's a imprecise exercise. So, especially when we haven't seen anything from the guy who signed a letter of intent today. So, I'm keeping an open mind on that front. So, that's the other thing. Just until we actually see the player that signed today, uh, let's, let's just avoid, you know, snark and frustrate <laughs> and, you know, doomsday, you know, doomsaying here. None of us have seen him on the floor. Um, 
So it just seems silly to me to already be speaking ill of it. Uh, if, yeah, if any of our Atlanta listeners want to look up Skill Factory's schedule and uh, and go record a game, we will happily break down that tape. <laughs> but uh, I have a box account. I have a Dropbox <laughs> account. You can just put it in there. You know, just say, Matt, here you go. And, I, and, and I'll enjoy that film. I will enjoy it. So, uh, well, that's all I've got. Do um, you have anything else that you want to hit on before we bust on out of here? Uh, no, hopefully this makes people uh, uh, less uh, frustrated about the football team too, but I can't guarantee that either. So uh, <laughs> hope people enjoy what we put on tape tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so programming note uh, before we, we check out then. So uh, because the game happened last night on Tuesday when we normally record, uh, and, and as we get into the season and football wraps up, you and I will go to a little bit earlier in the week because uh, I think they do have some, some Tuesday tips. Um, but, uh, the, before the box score podcast with, uh, with Nate Edwards is going to record tomorrow night. Um, he has a, a guest lined up, I believe to talk about the Florida Gators. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, you and I will be back next week at some point, we'll probably go back to Tuesday since there's a Monday and a, and a Wednesday game. Uh, and then, I don't know, we'll just try to keep you abreast of, you know the the recording night as we move forward so you can make sure that you're knowing when to expect when the podcasts are going to drop uh so make sure that you're subscribed because if you are not subscribed then you're possibly missing out when the moment when the podcast becomes available like that's the nice thing about being subscribed is your phone just downloads it uh, so find Rockin' Nation podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Store. Uh, we're on Spotify, uh, I think iHeartRadio, all kinds of things that, that Mitch puts in the post. Um, he's Matt J. Harris. I'm Sam T. Snelling. Uh, we will be back next week, and we'll talk to you then.